Hey, time for another edition of Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganville. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It is brought to you right here on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe, thumbs up by our friends at mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag. Put in that promo code next round. They're going to hook you up at checkout at mybookie.ag as we roll into the NBA, college basketball, uh, player props, NFL, college football, anything you want to wager on, you can do it at mybookie.ag. Before we get into last week, this coming up weekend, congratulations. You don't see long snappers get ah. uh, get scholarships all the time, but right. Wade Luganville, we've talked about him a little bit on Spitting Lugs before. You got to be a proud father, man. This is an awesome moment. I, I am. You know, it's um, you know, I the way I look at it is, you know, his mother and I have saved for a long time to pay for all of his college, and one of the things that we tried to tell him was that. If there's not a scholarship out there, don't worry about it. We we're, we have been responsible. We've saved for your college. But if there is one out there and you're interested in playing college football, because it takes a commitment to play college uh, football. I mean, I can't even it, imagine. You, you don't just get to be the normal student. And um, so he had several FCS level offers, and then he had some group of five, power five preferred walk-ons that he had considered and he had taken visits on. And, um, he was just like, you know what? I, I really like this place. And, you know, I, 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 it's a moment of pride when he's telling me, he goes, it's, yeah, I take pride in being able to be a scholarship long snapper. There's not a lot of those. And, um, so we're very proud of him. I appreciate you bringing it up because it's, uh, you know, in my world of college football and recruiting and kind of managing and dealing with the cycle all of the time. The one thing I've tried to do in all of this is literally stay out of the way. Like, you want to come to me for counsel, you want to talk scenarios, great. But I don't want to hear about, you know, what should I do? How should I go about, like, start to investigate on your own, and then we'll talk about it. So uh, I appreciate that, man. It's an exciting time. Proud mama and pop over here. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Okay, college football ratings back out, and uh, rankings, I should say. And really, not a lot of controversy, and this is going to work its way out. It always does. But I do find it interesting, Florida State at four, Washington at five. Florida State struggled with Miami a little bit. Uh, Washington struggled with a better Utah squad, but they still won the game. Um, I don't know. I think Washington's a better team. I think Washington fans are upset they're not in the top four. I don't know if it ultimately will matter. I think if they take care of business and they beat Oregon State, Washington State, and Oregon, they're going to be in. And that is a tall order, isn't it? When you consider consider the – the state of the ACC, you know, the ACC is a little bit like the big 12. It's kind of come crumbling down around everybody And Texas is remaining their standing and Florida state's remaining their standing. So, you know, the pressure starts to mount each and every week. Um, I, I think Miami's actually a pretty good team that's just been snake snake bitten and um, they've got good athletes. I thought it was an impressive win for Florida state. I, I look at it. I think the committee says, we think Florida State is the most well-rounded team. Washington may be the best offensive team between the two. Um, but the total package, defense, special teams, uh, balance between run and pass, apparently the committee thinks that Florida State is just an eyelash, just a hair better than Washington. I think we're splitting hairs there. Um, but again, I also think we're splitting hairs between, you know, 
Oregon and Washington. I think Oregon's a better team than Washington right now, but Washington has the head-to-head. So that stuff will start to play itself out. Uh, but Florida State's a pretty good football team, man, and they, they don't have a lot of flaws. So you're heading out to the West Coast this weekend. Yeah. You're going to be there for the Victory Bell, UCLA, USC. Um, a couple of things to get into. First, do you like In-N-Out Burger? Do I like In-N-Out Burger? First of all, you're talking to somebody that grew up. In, I was born in Pasadena, grew up predominantly entirely in South uh, in Southern California, aside from several years in Tempe, Arizona, when my dad was a, was at Arizona State. I I came up on on in and out when they were a family-owned, limited, limited spots throughout Southern California, and you basically could order three things. Yep. You had fries, the chocolate shake, and then you'd get either a double-double or a double-double with cheese. And if you figured out their, their whole mode of operation, it was a double-double or double-double with cheese, animal style, which is the sautéed onions, right? Yep. And now, you know, they sold it and it's become a little bit more nationwide. They're into Texas, they're into Arizona, they're into some other places. But if you haven't had an In-N-Out burger, you you need to have an In-N-Out burger. I, I can't believe it's such a polarizing burger. And I think people get pissed off. Some people will go. There's always a line, especially the ones in L.A. There's a reason. Um, yeah, there's just a, a part of it. I, I think it's yeah. delicious. I think it's one it of the is. best fast food brands out there. Dunaway and Brown disagree with me. They think it's a regular what? burger. Yeah, yeah. Next time you're uh, on with us. What are they comparing it to? Uh, well, they, they don't were say what a burger. Don't oh, say what a burger. They were comparing it to the water burgers, the McDonald's of the world, I swear. McDonald's? Yeah. Now, Dunaway's changed his tune a little bit. He went on some kind of romantic vacation, and he uh, discovered another one in Scottsdale, and he was like, it was – the best run fast food restaurant I've ever been into. So okay, he's come back you. a little bit, but Brown is not there right now. And I'm with you. I think it's the, it's it's top of the peak when it comes to fast food. It's so fresh and everything like the tomatoes are cut right there. The onions are cut right there. The cheese is melted on the patty. Everything is set. Like when they hand it to you, it's almost too hot to eat. I love it. So you're going to be out there in the Coliseum this weekend, and there are reports, at least there was a report this morning that I saw, that Chip Kelly is going to be um, he's going to be fired. And I look at Chip Kelly, and you take 2020 away, and he's gotten better win total every year. Uh, nine wins last year. He's still got a chance at nine wins this year if, if they win their final two games against USC, Cal, and then a bowl game. I, I just don't know what the commitment to football is at UCLA. I don't know what their collective's like. You know, I talked to somebody that, that coached there at one particular time, and he's like, there's not a financial commitment. There's not a big alumni um, base out there that is going to contribute to the program. And I, I don't know what, what the expectation is, but I don't think he's done a bad job, um, and I don't know who you're going to get. I think he's done a really good job. Two things I think have gotten him in trouble is he had a quarterback in Dorian Thompson-Robinson that had played so much football. And was so experienced and so talented. And you ask the question, okay, well, did they win as much as they should have with him? All right, a lot of people will say no. Then you look at this season, and last week the Arizona State game, I think, has doomed him because that is a team on its last leg, dangling by a thread, couldn't even put forth a team that had enough offensive linemen to literally 
run a normal offense each and every snap. I mean, they ran like 10 different versions of the swinging gate because they had to. And UCLA did not have many answers for it. They did not make many plays. And to Chip Kelly's uh, credit, he acknowledged that. He said, that is on us as coaches. We did not have these guys prepared. Now, that doesn't help them either because when you're acknowledging that, you're essentially saying you didn't have your team prepared. Um, I would totally agree that it is a university that is heading into the Big Ten that is willing to do just enough to be six and six. And that's a problem. If you're if the team across the way, SC is willing to do whatever it takes. But UCLA, if, if six and six, seven and five, if you're pushing your chips to the table and saying, this is what we're investing in, well, then don't expect 10 and two results. Don't expect nine and three, 11 and one results. That's the reality of the situation. You, and it's it kind of the it's kind of the polar opposite of Texas A&M right now, right? You've got twelve and zero resources and eight and four results. So the expectation, given the resources and the backing, is that you're not eight and four. That I can understand. But with UCLA, I don't care if it's Chip Kelly. I don't I don't really care who it is. If the investment isn't to be ten and two from an investment standpoint or 11 and one or what have you, then don't be upset when you're seven and five. Yeah. I, I think I can make an argument that I would take Texas A&M over any job in the SEC. And the reason I say yeah. that is because they've got the resources. You can do something that's never been done there before. Um, so once you win a championship, you're going to be a God in college station. Yeah. But on the flip side, if I'm representing somebody and the UCLA job is open and my guy gets an offer, I just I don't know if I could push them that direction. It, it just it do. seems like a dead end job. You have to have a guaranteed contract and a rollover with each year within the contract. So no matter what they do, the guaranteed contract, the term of the contract is never lower than the original term. Meaning that if you sign a five year deal and it's guaranteed and you get through the first year, you have a rollover. It's still a five-year deal. You get through the second year, you have a rollover. It's still a five-year deal. That's the only way, in my opinion, that somebody of substance and seriousness would take the job if there's not a guarantee that institutionally they're going to push all their chips to the table. I was asked a question uh, by somebody earlier today that said, man, if they're going to move on from Chip Kelly, who do you go after as you're heading into the Big Ten? And I said, Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State has a Big Ten style of play. Tough, gritty, carry your lunch pail, great on defense, uber disciplined, doesn't beat themselves. You go target Jonathan Smith. Last thing, last thing USC wants. Last thing. Last is, thing. Yeah, is, is Jonathan Smith to get that job because I agree right. with that. I think he's one of the best coaches in all of college football. And now that they're kind of dead man walking, they're in purgatory. You know, it, it, and Brown brought it up on the show. I was like, I don't know who would take this job. And he's like, Jonathan Smith. And I was like, I wouldn't take UCLA. And then I started to think, well, they don't have a landing spot. And UCLA is going to be in the Big Ten. And you know where the money's going to be. So exactly. I think that's an outstanding call. On the other side right now, well, first of all, UCLA's had three starting quarterbacks, three different starting quarterbacks in the last month. Who is starting the victory belt? Uh, it's a great question, and we're going to meet on Friday with Chip Kelly and his staff, and uh, I would venture a guess that we will find out on that day 
and obviously will not be able to reveal that information. They are certainly not going to tip their cap um, as it relates to Dante Moore, as it relates to Ethan Garbers, whether it's Colin Slee. They have two problems at UCLA right now. They don't have playmakers on the perimeter at wide receiver and tight end. Now, they can run the ball, but they don't have the guys to say, okay, like Texas right now can run the football, and then when they want to line up and throw it downfield, they got dudes, right? UCLA doesn't have that. The second thing that's really hampering UCLA, regardless of who the quarterback is, is they've been abysmal on offense in the red zone. They cannot score in the red zone. You go to two weeks ago against Arizona, and you're just shaking your head going, I mean, these guys should have 14, 21 points on the board, and they have three. And it's really plagued them. So the quarterback, whoever it may be, and I think Dante Moore is a – a really elite level talent and they've played with him. He's shown flashes. He's shown freshman miscues. He's been then banged up, which can happen to freshmen. But I think the future, whoever, if there is a change, and I'm not saying there's going to be a change. If there's a change, the question is, do you keep Dante Moore there? Does he stay in the fold? Um, Does he remain a Bruin? But for this next two weeks, they better come up with some answers because you're right. They could find themselves. You beat SC on the road. You beat Cal. It's a winnable game. You get into the bowl season. The question is, if they don't beat SC, what happens with Chip Kelly? If they do beat SC, how much further down the road do you go? Well, and if they do beat SC, on the other side of this coin, USC's lost four or five. Right. And you're about to run out of uh... – the hourglass, the, the the time is ticking on Caleb Williams. Yeah. And I, I don't know what to think. As a guy that pulls for USC, you know, moving forward, I like Lincoln Riley. He's never had a commitment to defense. He's fired Alex Grinch. I don't know if things are going to change, though. I mean, long term, how do you feel about USC as they make the move into the Big Ten? Well, there, there has to be a significant shift in priority as to how the roster is shaped and how it is built. Um, I think Steve Sarkeesian at Texas is a prime example of this. He arrived in Austin, and he was like, <laughs> we better get some frigging guys up front on offense and defense because the skill guys are easy to get. If you're Lincoln Riley on offense, everybody's going to want to come play for you, right? The question is, who do you go target as the coordinator? And is that coordinator an influential figure in personality when it comes to personnel player evaluation and recruiting because the only way you're changing the narrative at USC is if you became you become a prominent team on the defensive side of the football it's the only way the personnel has to increase significantly and is the personnel out there yes is it out there at the high school level yes is it out there in the transfer portal yes all right but you've also got to get some leadership on that side of the ball, allow that guy to come in. And if that means he has to change the offense or the, excuse me, the defensive staff, and you say, hey, go out and get the guys you think are most important. That's why I give Ryan Day credit at Ohio State. He went out and he, and he hired who he thought was the best coordinator in America in Jim Knowles and said, go bring your guys and coach this defense. And this is your group. And, and it's worked out. In, yeah. Look what's happened in two years. Okay, so I think that's the mode of operation. Whether Lincoln can do it, I don't know. I've said multiple times, I'll continue to say it. 
I think he's one of the most gifted offensive coaches in college football today. I think he's one of the most natural, effortless play callers in college football today. He has had a wealth of luxuries at quarterback, but there's been a blind spot. So I'm sitting here trying to pull this. I should have pulled it before. But Jalen Milrow, 10 touchdowns against LSU and Kentucky over the last two weeks. Over and almost I, 600 yards of total offense. Yeah, I was just trying to pull back like uh, Kenny Stabler and Joe Namath back in the day, how many touchdowns they actually had in a season. And it's <laughs> it's a different game. But, I mean, yeah. 10 touchdowns in two weeks and the difference in the Jalen Hurts we saw against Texas and the Jalen Hurts – or, excuse me, the Jalen Milrow we saw against Texas and the Jalen Milrow we're seeing right now, it's night and day. If this dude would have played like this the entire season – they're undefeated, and he's probably your Heisman favorite. Yeah, I think there's validity to that statement and that notion. Uh, and if you watch how this thing is unfold, I think there are there's plenty of credit to go around. Credit patience to Nick Saban. Credit creativity and pushing the quarterback to play with instincts to Tommy Reese. And then credit Jalen Milrow for finally realizing and get it entrenched in his head. If I don't hold on to the football, good things will happen. If there's something to take off and run, there's good things that will happen. If I play my game, not trying to stick a square peg into a round hole and be something that I'm not, good things will happen. If you watch Alabama on offense over the last two weeks, have you noticed the one thing that we aren't seeing anymore? There's very little criticism on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I, they gave okay. up zero sacks on the road against Kentucky last week. A lot of that is because Jalen Milrow is taking what the defense shows him immediately. Instead of waiting to take off and run if he sees it, if he sees it, he takes off and runs. And on top of that, they have incorporated, I think, what has been a very productive not overly complicated and not too much, but a very productive quarterback run game. So you've got the keep off of the zone. You've got quarterback counter. You've got quarterback lead. Those three plays right there where you say, okay, on any given down, we are going to call his number. It's not going to be improvised. He's not creating on his own. We are designating that he's going to be the runner. How many weeks now have we talked about that? Since week one? Oh, yeah. Maybe since August? Okay, so they're getting to that point. But it's been the instinctive plays that I think stand out to me the most. And that's why you haven't seen the sacks. It's why you haven't seen the pressures. He's just playing. I don't want to call it sandlot football because I think that's unfair. That, that, would, that would probably lead you to believe that, you know, he's not capable of structure and discipline. And I'm not saying that at all. But I think his initial instinct, if he feels it, early on he fought it. Now he's accepting it. And it's paying dividends. ESPN's Tom Luganville at Spitting Lugs on Disrupt the Media. It's brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Holiday season is here. Great stocking stuffer. Go to manscaped.com. Put in that promo code Lugs, L-O-O-G-S, promo code Lugs at manscaped.com. Where was Jalen Milrow coming out of high school? Like, you watched this guy. You saw film on him. I mean. We, we had him as a four-star player just outside of the ESPN 300. We have anywhere from probably – 45 to 60 players that don't make the 300 every year that are that we deem as four-star players that are right on the cusp. In fact, you could probably trade a guy and put another guy in there, and it, it would just cancel each other out. 
But the reason why, and we had Jalen Hurts the same way. Jalen Hurts was a four-star player just outside of the 300 because they were raw. Talented, but very raw. Not polished, not fundamentally polished, maybe not mechanically polished, but they had a skill set that you couldn't coach. So you try to project that going forward. You want to give them a four-star grade, but you're hesitant because you haven't seen the development yet. And that's where the coaches come into play. That's where uh, scheme, scheme fit, how to coach a guy, how coachable is the guy, is he capable of doing what you're asking him to do? Those are all variables that nobody knows the answer to until you get them. Uh, you know, I think Nick Saban's done an incredible job. You can make an argument this is his best coaching job. We've said this before, Agreed. but it seems like this is a little bit different this year. But with that said, and maybe it's because Nick Saban has had greatness and he's got a million awards and he's got a million national championships. If I had to give my SEC coach of the year right now, and I still think it's going to be like this in a couple of weeks, I would go Eli Drinkwitz. I mean, for this oh. team to be sitting at eight and two, and I just wanted to ask you internally, Luther Burden III was one of these five-star guys, but it doesn't seem like Missouri draws a lot of five-stars. Cody Schrader, I don't know where he was coming out of high school, but the guy is a complete stud. Uh, Brady Cook has turned into a hell of a quarterback, so they're doing a good job of developing talent there. Brady Cook was ranked. Um, Cody Schrader was not. He went to Division II Truman State. Wow. Okay? Um, so they find him in the portal. And, you know, we talked to Eli Drinkowitz uh, uh, this past Sunday on, on my Sirius XM show on 84. And he said, listen, we, we liked what we saw. We knew he was productive. We brought him in as a selected walk-on. And then he had to prove it every step of the way. It wasn't like he just stepped on campus. We were like, whoa. You know, he still had to prove it. And obviously, he's a, he's a, he's a great player for that offense. Luther Burden's really, really good. I will say this. I think Eli Drinkwitz, um, he happened to be in the position that he's in and have this job during a three-class cycle of the 22, 23, and 24 class in the, in, the, in the state of Missouri that has been stronger than we have seen in the last 15 years. So as they've gotten better, all of a sudden, you've got better players in state. Those players in state start to look at Missouri a little bit differently, right? Then you keep a guy like Luther Burden. He doesn't go in the transfer portal in the last cycle, right? So now you've shown that you have the resources to keep that in-state kid happy and keep him at home. What does that do? It sends a message to the other top-level kids in the state. So he's been, I think, a very fortunate byproduct of putting a quality product on the field and having recruiting classes uh, within the state that have been stronger than anything previously that we've seen in recent history. If you had to, let's make your let's make you Ross Bjork. You're the Texas A&M athletics director. You know where we're going here. Um, and you've got all the money in the world. You can hire anybody. Who are you hiring? Jeff Trailer at UTSA. I love him. So here's my take on this entire thing. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've, you've met him. I mean, look. Sure. Dad, oh, yeah. I you met know, him this, when he was in high school. Yeah. When he was at Gilman. And he was crushing yeah. it at Gilman. And now what he's done with Texas San Antonio. And I believe if Frank Harris has a healthy toe the entire year, they probably have one loss. And they've got a great shot of being your group five uh, New Year's six. So here, here's the thing that I think is really important is Texas A&M is in a position where I think it is really critical that they don't try to win the press conference. You have to win the long term, right? So there's going to be flashy toys under the tree. 
there's going to be high-profile names that are going to be thrown out there. But the one thing about Jeff Trailer is he's a self-made man. He's highly successful, has been since he was an assistant coach coming up the high school ranks. He's been an assistant coach in the SEC. Um, the most important factor in all of this, the high school head coaches in the state absolutely love him. Love him. You have to give that some credence. Now, oh. I've said on multiple platforms over the last three days, and I've taken a lot of criticism for it uh, on the internet, but I think it is fair to ask the question. I'm not saying this is what's happening. I think it is fair to ask the question. If you are Texas A&M with a wealth of resources, you said it earlier, Lance, of all the jobs in major college football, you would take Texas A&M's resources above everybody else. I, I think I would. I don't like some of their hokey stuff. I like game day traditions and stuff. This Correct. stuff I don't love, but I just think overall that might be the best job out there with what you can do with it, the upside. Correct. So everything at your disposal to compete with anybody is exactly what you're saying, okay? So then you have to ask the question, why aren't these players performing? Then you have to ask the question, is NIL a problem? Okay? In the sense that what is the player's motivation to be a champion? What is the player's motivation to be the best version of themselves? Does the player put the program and the ability and the, the goal of winning a championship before individual accolades? Is a player that is an elite-level high school recruit signing with Texas A&M to be a champion or to make the most money off of their name, image, and likeness? And you can sit there and criticize me all you want. You have to ask that question. It's a fair question because if everything else is in place, what is missing? Like I, I, I've, I've pointed to the Sugar Bowl last year, Lance. Will Anderson and Bryce Young play in the Sugar Bowl. Why? Now they love the game of football, and they have a commitment to the university. Oh, boy. Exactly. Yeah. If I were to take that same Texas A&M team and put them in that game, and you had to push your chips to the table, would you say players would sit out? Uh, yeah, I would say that. And I wanted to get your take on – how big is the mass exodus going to be into the transfer portal once Jimbo's gone? Or do you think if a guy like Jeff uh, Trailer came in, could he could he salvage this? Well, I think that's the number one priority of whoever gets hired in this job. And that is who has great talent and is willing to work like an absolute freaking machine to make Texas A&M the most dominant program in college football. And no matter how talented you are, if you start to uncover layers, as you as the new head coach talk to the trainer, talk to the strength coach, you talk to the uh, academic advisor, you talk to all of these different resources, and you start to gather information that tells you the answer to that question is no, you need to move on. And unfortunately, that's a harsh truth. People don't want to hear it. But you look at Georgia right now. You look at uh, Alabama. Clemson, when they were at their best. Notice how Clemson didn't have any guys 
opting out of playing in a college football playoff or playing in a bowl game or, you know, all of those sorts of things. You have to find guys that are willing to acknowledge that if the team succeeds, everything else will take care of itself. And I don't know if Texas A&M has been in that position over the last four to five years. They got great players, got great athletes, but I think it's fair to ask the question and you can criticize me all you want. I'm asking it. What's wrong if you have everything else in place? I think it's a good problem to have. Yeah. It's a great uh, problem to have. Now you got to decipher it. ESPN's Tom Luganbill every week right here on Disrupt the Media. Spit and Lug is brought to you by uh, Lance'sLock.com. Jump on board every league, every day. We've got plays for you, free play every day at Lance'sLock.com. So I went to see the movie The Holdovers, Alexander Payne's newest film. Okay. Uh, the guy that did Election, Sideways, About Smith, uh, Downsizing. He's done a lot of stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Paul Giamatti is just an incredible actor. And he is so good in this role. I can almost guarantee he's going to be up for best actor. I can almost guarantee you the holdovers will be up for best best picture. So it takes period piece takes place in 1970, uh, right. Northeastern boarding school, uh, Christmas holiday. Few of the kids can't get home. He ends up being the chaperone for the two weeks there. And it's a really good story. And I thought it, it's a great holiday film. And it's it's good for the majority of the family. It's got some strong language. Uh, yeah. But outside of that, it's it's just a really good film, and he just proves himself to continue to be one of the best actors that probably doesn't get enough material because I guess he can only be in certain things. He's not the he's ever gonna win sexiest man alive by People magazine. Right. Yeah. But he's an elite actor. He's an elite actor. I don't know what your yes. favorite Paul Giamatti uh roles are, but he is fantastic. Uh, oh man, I mean, I got I got a ton of them. Uh, so my question is, and I mentioned this to you last week, is it does it have a Goodwill Hunting, um, Dead Poet Society feel to it? it? It is. It is the combination. I would say this: the 1970 combination of Cinnable Woman and Breakfast Club. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well done, my yeah. friend. Yeah. So, so Chad, I, I, you will you will thoroughly enjoy it. It's it's really good. Great. I and I love that stuff, and I'll, I'll be all about that. That might be a Thanksgiving opportunity for me uh, with with the holdovers now. I will combat and come back to you with a movie we talked about last week that did release on Netflix, uh, David Fincher's The Killer. I saw it. Okay. My take is that it was good, not great. Yep. Wish it would have had a twist. Wish there would have been more bang for the buck at the end. I was engaged. I did enjoy it. I thought there was a lot of David Fincher-esque moments. Yep. But left a little bit little disappointed wish there was a little more to be desired yeah michael fassbender really good actor i love fincher's style i love the way they score it with trent reznor behind it you can tell it's yes. a fincher film uh the house fight scene was great um right. yeah the thing that bothered me was and this used to be a crutch and and i know we're on a rider strike right now or we just <laughs> came out of one but you know the crutch was don't do a lot of voiceover and the entire movie is voiceover and i know there's some oh, of that man. needed to kind yeah. of explain the character and what the character is going through. I just wish they would have let it play out a little bit more. And I agree with you. It could have used another twist or two, but I thought it was a yeah. solid, you know, I would give solid. it, yeah, I'd give it, yeah. I don't know, uh, 70 to 80. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. So um, with that being said, I'll leave you with this. I stumbled and my wife and I stumbled on something last night 
Uh, it's on Netflix. It's actually a documentary, and it's called uh, Alive. Or no, excuse me. It's called Buried. It's called Buried, and it's about a ski resort in the Tahoe Mountains called Alpine Meadows. It's a true story. It happened in 1979. And it's about this ski resort that, for whatever reason, God only knows, they built this ski resort right smack dab in the middle of the bottom portion of a valley of maybe the most avalanche-ridden ridge <laughs> in all of the Sierra Nevadas. And they knew when they were doing it that they were doing this. So they knew that they had to have avalanche predictor, avalanche explosive experts to manage all of this so that the the actual ski resort could run. And then, of course, you know, flash forward, naturally, catastrophe hits. And um, it turns into a really, really good factual real documentary with basically everybody that was involved in the event that is still alive involved in the documentary and it was fascinating my wife wow. and i were on the sofa last night and we were flipping through because we had watched the killer the night before and we're flipping through and i'm like what is this she goes buried i'm like what is that and then i looked at it as like the avalanche of alpine meadows so we just started watching it and the more we watched it, the more we were looking at you going, this is really, really good. And we knew nothing of the story. And I'm from the West Coast. I figured, I mean, I was born in 74, so I was only five years old when this happened. But I figured I would have known something you, about it. You know it. what I remember? I don't know any of the story either, and I'm all in on this. But I remember there being some TV movies, movies of the week, on avalanches and and, and, and resorts like that. And I guarantee you, you remember ABC, NBC, CBS would, would churn out these made-for-TV movies. Oh, yeah. And or I bet it was based on that. Yeah. Hey, yeah. North and so South was really awesome. Good. Did you see North and South as a kid? Oh, of course. <laughs> Did you see Chiefs? Uh, I didn't see Chiefs. What, what is Chiefs? Oh, my goodness. David Carradine. No, Keith Carradine. And was it Keith David? It was the guy that was in Midnight Express. Remember Midnight Express? He's oh, dead yeah. now. Okay, it was that actor. So you get off of this pod right now with me. And go Google Chiefs. It was okay. an ABC miniseries. It's awesome. And I guess you could get it on YouTube TV, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or you could just get it on YouTube. It's probably on YouTube. It's probably on Google somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Chiefs. This is the information. So check you out get. Buried on Netflix. Buried. Okay. Have uh, have fun in LA. I guess you will hit up oh, yeah. In N Out Burger, right? <laughs> There's a school bus yellow. Is there any other places go to when you're out there? Well, the thing about Southern California, if you haven't been out there, is um, the Mexican food is ridiculous. And the Mexican food is at its best when it's at a hole in the wall. Like yeah, go to a place called Casablanca in Venice. I was there in May. It is. Yeah, but if I have to go to Venice, it might take me two and a half hours to get there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, put your wallet in your front pocket if you're in Venice. I, you got that right. Uh, but this is uh, Spittin' Lukes, ESPN's Tom Lugabill. Have a safe trip out there. We'll be in touch with you. Will do, man. Thanks, brother.